the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Miracle of praise takes place when you understand that praise is a matter of perspective. How you see God is a filter through which you will see everything else in your life. And if you choose to praise Him, even in the dark nights of the soul, you will experience the miracle of rejoicing. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Yesterday, I did what a lot of the Christian world did. I downloaded a a new album by someone that's been in the news a lot. It was a first for me. I've never downloaded, I'm not not sure I've ever listened to Kanye West. And, And yet... Kanye has said that he began a relationship with Jesus Christ and he's come out with this new album using his artistry to to give praise to God. The the title of it is Jesus is King. So I I just wanted to see what this was all about. So I I was away uh, for the week and I I downloaded that album and, and as I took my last walk on the beach, I listened to the whole thing. Kind of interesting. But it began with a a song that was called Every Moment, Every Hour. Listen to the lyrics of that first song on the album. Every hour, every minute, every second, each and every little second. We need you. We need you. We need you. Oh, we need you. (laughs) And then it's just one phrase over and over again. Sing till the power of the Lord comes down. Sing till the power of the Lord comes down. Sing till the power of the Lord comes down. I don't know what inspired Kanye, but it could have been Acts 16, because that's what Paul and Silas did in the midst of this moment where they didn't understand, where it seemed like God wasn't making sense. God, we did what you told us to do. We went where you told us to go. We said what you told us to say. And now here we are, attacked and stripped and beaten and imprisoned and put in a dungeon and our feet in the shackles. What are we going to do? Sing till the power of the Lord comes down. Sing till the power of the Lord comes down. When we understand how much we need him, when we're desperate to shake off the chains that bind us, when we don't think God is making sense and we want him to straighten things out, what do we do? We sing till the power of the Lord comes down. We praise his mighty name. So that's what they did. They praised him. And their praise caused an earthquake. I've never been in an earthquake. We don't have a lot of those here on the East Coast. But can you imagine what it had been like in that moment? In the middle of the night? 
the earth began to tremble. The ground began to shake. The chains began to fall. The prisons were opened. The guard that beat them was terrified. In fact, he attempted to take his life. Why would he do that? Because he knew if all the prisoners got out, his life was going to be lost anyway. So Paul had to calm him down. We're all here! The Bible says he cried it out. I mean, think about, we think about this in our day. Think about what it would have been like down in that Philippian dungeon, in the dark, with all the rubble around him. Paul yelling out, hey, we're here! And I think back about the crowd. Say the crowd. See, there were other prisoners there. But most of the crowd is followers. And that's why it's so important that you learn to influence and impact your environment. Because when you do that positively, the crowd will follow you too. So Paul says, hey, we're all here. Don't be afraid. So the guard moved by what was taking place, just ask a simple question. What must I do to be saved? Remember what I told you? Everybody, everywhere has this deep question within. How do I get what I need? What must I do to be saved? And notice Paul's answer. Some of you need to hear this today because some of you need to apply it to your life because some of you, even having been brought up in religious settings, are confused about this. Paul simply says these words, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. What does it take to be saved? Hasn't changed for 2,000 years. Paul would put it this way at another place in the book of Romans. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you're saved. Not going to church, not being Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or Lutheran or Episcopal or Assembly of God or Presbyterian or non-denominational or whatever. Not completing all these holy rituals like Catechism and First Communion and baptism, whether you've been dipped or dunked or sprinkled or or walking down an aisle or raising a hand or saying a magic prayer. No, what does it take to be saved? The scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you will be saved. Paul did not say to him, I'll tell you what it takes to be saved. You need to quit your job. You just about killed us. You stripped us, humiliated us, you beat us. You put us in a dungeon, and as if we could get out of here, didn't you lock our toes up? What in the world? Stop it. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, I'll tell you what it takes to be saved. You better be sorry. You better ask me to forgive you. You're not truly saved if you don't ask me to forgive you. Don't you see what you've done? No, I need you to understand this because some of you in your own life and some of you as you look at other people, you think they can't be saved or I can't be saved because they're not, they're not tracking on this list of things I've got in my mind. He said, no, what it takes for you to be saved. If the question is what it takes for you to be saved, if the question is not what does it look like to be a preacher of the gospel or what does it look like to be a good church member or what does it look like to be a good citizen? If the question is what does it take to be saved? 
The answer hasn't changed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So what follows is just a night of miracles. Let me just give you some of the miracles. Because how many of you want a miracle in your life? Huh? I do. Right, first of all, it was just a miracle that Paul and Silas were rejoicing, right? <laughs> That's a miracle. Oh, they could have had a pity party, but instead they had a praise party. They could have gotten bitter, but instead they chose a better way. They could have wallowed in the circumstances, but instead they chose to worship their creator. They rejoiced. So Paul would later have street cred when he would say to the Philippians in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. So you and I, some of us have heard that verse most of our lives, but the Philippians, when they're reading the letters, I imagine they just started laughing when they got to that part of the letter. Rejoice in the Lord all. Yeah, Paul knows what he's talking about. Because remember when he was here in our city, in jail, and there was a big earthquake, and what was he doing? He was rejoicing in the Lord, even when God wasn't making sense. How do we do that? Well, we don't rejoice in our circumstances. We rejoice in spite of our circumstances. We understand that principle that we've quoted from Romans 8, that we have a good God who understands that for those of us who love him, he works things together for good and for his glory as we're called according to his purpose. Doesn't say all things are good. Doesn't say God causes all those things that happen to us. But it says our God is so good that he can bring about good in every situation. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, it's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there's not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only by God. They're not in the power of man. Heard that phrase, songs in the night, and I thought, I wonder where he got that from, and then I read in the book of Job, and did you know in Job 35 and verse 10, Job, who went through so much, who lost everything, says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? You see, you have a God who loves you, who cares about you, who is around you, working things together for your good and his glory. And he will give you songs even in the darkest night moments of life. But you can only sing songs in the night when you know that not everything that seems bad is bad. See, we've already learned not everything that seems good is good. But you have to understand, not everything that seems bad is bad. It seemed bad when that crazy lady possessed by a demon with this spirit of divination was following after Paul and Silas. But God used that encounter to get them in this moment in prison. So that he could see this Philippian jailer come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Boy, it seemed bad when Joseph's brothers threw him in the pit. But when God moved him to the palace, he realized God was up to something else. So he could say in Genesis 50, as for you, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. The miracle of praise takes place when you understand that praise is a matter of perspective. 
How you see God is a filter through which you will see everything else in your life. And if you choose to praise him, even in the dark nights of the soul, you will experience the miracle of rejoicing. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. It was a miracle they rejoiced, but it was also a miracle that Paul and Silas were restrained. (laughs) Just think about you in this story. You're praising God. You're having a worship service. And hallelujah, the Lord answers your prayers. He breaks the chains. Now, part of our problem is I think we sing and pray, and we don't expect God to answer our prayers. But God answered the prayer. What would you have done? I'm just telling you, even though that's my namesake from the Bible, I'm not sure I'd have had the faith of the Apostle Paul. I'd have been like, Silas, get your stuff and let's go. We got to get out of here. The chains are loose. The guards up under that rock. Let's get out of here. But they didn't. They stayed put. And boy, when I see that, I'm, I'm just reminded that sometimes... Sometimes when we're still, God shows up and gives us an even greater miracle. Be hesitant about being too quick to run. It was a miracle that they were restrained. It was a miracle that they reached out to the the jailer. He, I'm just going to remind you one more time. He had attacked them. He had stripped them, he had beaten them, he had imprisoned them, he had put them in the bottom of the prison, and he had put them in stocks. And yet they're showing him the love of Jesus. They didn't choose to run, they didn't choose revenge, they reached out. Maybe you need to be reminded today that when God delivers you from bondage, he's doing that for his glory. That's why I've been begging you to think about that one person. Who's your one? That one person in your life that is constantly on your mind that you're praying for, that you're beginning to have gospel conversations with. Maybe you're inviting them to church. You're building a relationship with them so that you can see God change their life. Don't ever forget that God wants to use your freedom to help set other captives free. When the gospel came to you, it was on the way to someone else. And then it was a miracle that the guard was redeemed, right? I mean, that's the greatest miracle in the Bible, that God would take one sinner, damned and destined to hell, and by his grace, give give us the gift of eternal life in heaven. It's a miracle that God saved me. It's a miracle that God saved you if you're saved. It's a miracle that God redeemed this guard. And so you have to ask about what's going on here when it didn't seem like God was making sense. Did God break the chains? Did God open the prison to let Paul and Silas out or did he do that to let the guard in? Did God open the tomb on that Easter morning to let Jesus out or did he do that to let me and you in? 
Notice what happened with his redemption. There's that phrase that if you're not careful, you can confuse, but it says, yes, he followed Christ, he and his household. Now, we don't believe this means just because one person got saved, the whole household got saved, but what it teaches us is the power of influence, and we understand that today. There's no question, dads, when you live your life for Christ, it's scientifically factual that there's a greater likelihood of your wife and your children living for Christ. And if you don't, it's statistically proven that it's much more challenging to see that in their lives. His whole household came to faith in Christ because they saw his change. And then his behavior changed. See, we get it backwards. We tell people they've got to change their behavior and then come to Christ. No, he came to Christ and then his behavior changed. And so the first thing he did was to be baptized. And I would just remind you, I don't know where you are in your personal spiritual journey, but in the Bible, in the New Testament, baptism was always immediately after a person began a relationship with Christ. Once they understood that Jesus had changed their life, they followed through as quick as they could and they were baptized. True salvation always results in spiritual fruit. And then the last miracle. What's the last miracle? Paul and Silas were released. Do you hear how that happened? This is kind of funny too. Look at verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. (laughs) Now, that's not shocking. Word had gotten around. This Paul and Silas, they're crazy. You attack them, you strip them, you beat them, you put them in jail, you put them in the bottom jail, the dungeon, you put them in stocks. They started singing to their God, and their God caused an earthquake, but they didn't run. They just stayed there. Now this jailer is singing to their God. So the head of the city says, get them out of here. We don't want to let them go. So what does Paul say? The jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now and go in peace. Good news, right? Paul says, not a chance. Paul said to them, they beat us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens. They've thrown us into prison. Now they want to throw us out secretly? No, thanks. See, Paul was a Roman citizen. By Roman law, all he had to do is say two words and he would have been let go. So he probably said those words, and they beat him anyway. They imprisoned them anyway. He said, after what they've done, they want to just escape and not let God get the glory for this moment? No. Notice what he says to them. No, let them come themselves and take them out. So the police reported this to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. And so they came, and they apologized to them. There's the apology. And they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. Hey, just a reminder, God settles the score. You don't have to settle the score. There's a reason the scriptures say, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Every time I get in trouble in life, it's when I try to settle a score that I have no no business messing with. So they took them, they asked them to leave the city. And when they went out of the prison, they visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and they departed. You read the end of that story and it's like happily ever after. Remember how it started? God, this doesn't make sense. That's the way it is with our lives. We don't see it on God's timetable, do we? We don't see where he's taking us. We don't see the providential hand of God. We just... 
We just have the hot water of the moment. And too often it, it's too hot to handle. You know what I take away from this passage? If you want to see the miracles of God, you better learn to praise him even when you think God doesn't make sense. Because praise always magnifies God. Praise always terrifies the enemy. And praise always clarifies our situation because we're seeing it through God's eyes, not ours. So let me just give you these praise principles before we leave. Number one, remember this, practicing praise points people to Jesus. If you'll make a decision today that I'm going to praise God no matter what, I promise you the people in your little corner of the world, they'll they'll take notice. They'll see what you've done. They'll see how you're living for his glory. Number two, practicing praise prompts God's presence. Some of you have heard this verse in church. Maybe someone was leading in worship or the pastor got up to pray and he says this, God inhabits the praise of his people. Where does that come from? It comes from Psalms 22 verse 3. In the old King James it says, he inhabiteth, (laughs) he inhabiteth the praise of Jerusalem. And then so in the ESV as we read it, it says, yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. When we praise God, it makes him feel good. And and I believe he just shows himself present in a manifest way. Number three, practicing praise penetrates the prisons of our lives. If you want God to shake up your world and break up your chains, make sense of the things that don't make sense, then praise him more. And when you praise him more, you become like the coffee bean. It not only impacts you, you influence the environment that you're in. But you get to choose. There are different responses. And some of you, boy, the hot water moments of life, they've hardened you. Others of you, it softens you. You feel weak. I want to encourage you. Be the bean. Be the change agent. When you don't understand, be the bean. When you can't trace his plan, be the bean. When you don't see his hand, be the bean. Ask God to use you for your good and his glory. Let your praise of him enable you to change the environment you're in. But one more thing. The greatest and first response to the hot water moments of life should always be That question that the jailer asked Paul and Silas. What must I do to be saved? 
If you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, find joy in that salvation. Trust him and be the being that influences your little corner of the world. But if you've never begun that relationship with him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the God who created you will demonstrate his presence even in the most difficult moments of your life. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.